0: Hello and welcome to Personal Threads, a
1: podcast where we go behind the scenes of the joy of dressing up.
0: Brought to you by Ascot Racecourse, where we uncover how moments and memories from our past can inform our personal style.
1: Each week, a new guest renowned for their chic and unique dress sense will take us on a voyage through their life and personal style, stopping at moments, memories, items or people who have influenced and sewn together our guests' very individual taste. Whether you're donning your finest for Royal Ascot or wrapping up in tweed for the jump season, sartorial elegance and style is in the very fabric of Ascot Racecourse.
0: Allow us to introduce ourselves. I'm Susan Bender-Whitfield, a creative director, stylist and contributing editor to British Vogue.
1: Hello, I am Scott Wimsett, a fashion industry commentator and consultant. My career in digital and broadcast has spanned almost 20 years from presenting for MTV and Vogue TV as a presenter and director.
0: Today's guest is one of the world's most successful male supermodels, and more recently an entrepreneur as founder of his clothing brand, David Gandy Wellwear. Born in Billericay, Essex, with unfulfilled childhood ambitions to become a vet and working at Auto Express delivering cars for track testing, becoming an internationally famous model wasn't in the initial plan. David may have his flatmate to thank for the launch of his wildly successful career. While studying at the University of Gloucestershire, secretly known by his course mates as Model Dave, he was unknowingly entered into a modelling competition on ITV's This Morning, hosted by Richard and Judy. The 21-year-old David won, and within the prize was a modelling contract with London's Select Modelling Management, who he remains with today. In 2007, David became the muse for Dolce & Gabbana, and starred in many advertising campaigns, leading to his most recognised campaign for one of the world's best-selling fragrances, D&G Light Blue. David pushed the boundaries of male modelling, which is usually an industry dominated by women and matched their success. Now with less of a focus on modelling, David set himself a new challenge and last year launched his own brand, David Gandhi Wellware, which takes a multi-sensory approach to design, invoking a sense of well-being through exceptional comfort, fit and fabrication. As David says, clothing shouldn't just make you look good, it should make you feel good too. Welcome David,
2: how are you? Very well. What a lovely intro. I don't have to remember all my PR. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Checklist. PR checklist (laughs) uh,
2: for wellware now. That's good, (laughs) Richard. You've
1: done it all. Yeah, they're absolutely good. Thank you for joining Personal Threads. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lovely to have you here. So the premise of Personal Threads and this podcast is to do that deeper dive into everybody's own unique sense of style, that journey we go on, whether it be somebody significant when you're younger, that you really lock in a kind of visual Mm -hmm. aesthetic, and then all the way through, whether it's pop music bands or films or stylists we've worked with, etc, etc. So just go right back to the beginning... Mm Is there anybody that really stands out in David Gandhi's memory reference trajectory of, like, that person had a really definitive impact on my style at a young age?
2: I think there's a number of people, and I think you're conscious of seeing somebody. You don't know why you're attracted to or you're gazing at that person. Maybe it's a film star, maybe it's a movie star and the way they dress. And But I was always, always into old films, vintage films, and remember... Paul Newman, who I'm still the biggest fan of, Mm. and just the coolness of James Dean and then the suaveness of Cary Grant. And if I am trying to imitate anyone, it's all those old Hollywood guys to this day. Timeless. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it is timeless. So at the time, I don't think I knew why. And I didn't know, like, looking at Cary Grant, and then I realised it was the tailoring. And that's why one of my loves, one of my passions is tailoring. But then you've got that coolness casual side of Paul Newman, Steve McQueen... James Dean, who were in white t-shirts, chinos, bell staff jacket. And of course, all those guys, They people don't understand that we're still putting them at the top of the list probably the most stylish men ever. Mm. But they weren't styled, if you know what I mean. And could be wrong, but what I've read is they weren't into style. They didn't have stylists. They had race teams and they rode motorbikes mm. and they did their own stunts. And what they needed for that was the most comfortable utilitarian clothing. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at Steve McQueen in his purse or and his bell staff and saying, it's because that was the best stuff to ride a motorbiking. Yeah. That was basically and it was now we function, wear it wasn't it? It, it was function, yeah. yeah. And absolutely. probably why they looked so comfortable in it rather than feeling
1: styled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it yeah, comes yeah. across, doesn't mm. it?
2: And then you look at someone probably like Cary Grant, but then Cary Grant and other people who are highly into tailoring is they understood... That a bespoke suit and a mm. comforter. Like, once you've had a yes. tailor made mm-hmm. bespoke suit, it's very difficult. It to sounds really, really, yeah. you know, yes. high, to go back to something else. And then you learn about the structure of a suit and the unstructured process of a suit. Mm-hmm. And all my suits now are soft shoulders, mm-hmm. unstructured suiting. It just suits me better. But that's taken years for me to, to, to find of, that. To, to, to find that, learn and then you have to understand. It's a very difficult thing to explain to someone that this unstructured, which has no lining but is very difficult to make, is more expensive than the producer, something with right. silk lining yes. and all the layers and all the pattern that goes into it. It doesn't quite make sense, but you have to understand that over the mm-hmm. years. Going back to it, it was those guys, but my grandfather, they would come around for Sunday lunch virtually every weekend. He would always be in a shirt and tie. Now, my mm-hmm. father and my grandfather came from very impoverished backgrounds, but they were always, I would say well-dressed, everything fitted well there was always a double Windsor going on the tie was immaculate for casual wear and stuff it was nothing else but i just and, remember and you've got my, those memories of your
1: grandfather coming in for sunday
2: lunch always with the shirt and always with the tie, polishing his shoes which mm. i know polish your granddad's yes. shoes no I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hello dad <laughs> he didn't quite get me to do <laughs> that yeah yeah but my dad was about longevity in the bit it was Ingrained into them that you look after stuff. Yeah. And why would logically yeah. to them, why would you go and buy five pairs of shoes when you've got but two? But I suppose good there wasn't like
0: fast fashion then. It was, if was fashion, you no, yeah. could only afford one suit, and you'd have. Two shirts maybe,
2: Absolutely. and you'd
0: wash them, and you'd look after.
2: Yeah, it was incredible quality. Yes, mm. it didn't have to be Savile Row or anything else. My dad no. got me, me suits made when he first could afford when he went to work. It was just in the East End, mm-hmm. and that's where he got it made. I've still got a couple of those suits, have you? and they're beautiful oh, wool suits. And I got them adjusted. So you're the same size. Is I, was, I mean, I was roughly i same, a little bit bigger than my dad now because of and he's yeah. slowly shrinking <laughs> oh. that. so when they were my first suits he said I'm not wearing them I took him out his wardrobe because then yes. he of course came out the office of he was always building businesses but then he built his own business where he didn't have to wear suits Right. so then he was in his polo shirts and yeah. chinos yes. yeah and then he suits and so I would wear them then it's moved to dad then asking me where he should buy stuff from or him going to buy stuff and then get excited about showing me, because I've got to show you this new suit I bought, I've got to show you this, oh, I'm going to show you that. Nice. So, I've comfortable circle in Yeah, right. it has in some ways. But was never into style, neither was my grandfather, none of my family really were. My sister is a person There's one of those frustrating people that puts anything on and looks great. So I remember her going, well, working up in London, she would have a pair of jeans and a men's shirt on, like yes. Thomas Pink, and looking better than anyone else. Is so, she quite tall? No, not, I think she's 5'7. Right. So, not short, but not anything over tall. So, as a family, we didn't spend loads of money on clothing whatsoever. And there were lots of hand me downs. I mean, I've always joked that my grandfather worked in number 10. And Did he? yeah, he was part of the staff. And we were staying with my grandparents one week and he said, I'll take you up to number 10. Now, I mean, with my children, they would probably be dressed in gorgeous uh- <laughs> dresses. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, we look at this picture now, me and my sister were oh, in, like, yeah, like hand-me-down tracksuits, which didn't obviously fit. I might, be, <laughs> I might have even been in a pink tracksuit for my sister, I've got to be honest. I, like, said to my mum, was like, why, didn't you why did you, you dress not think? Us up? <laughs> she was like, you're at your grandparents, you used to choose what you wanted to wear. And that was kind of it. My mum always said I always chose what to wear. And I was quite headstrong in that. It was often wrong, obviously, yes. but yeah. And then you went through those eras of you wore the tracksuits, the shell suits, and then you slowly understood a little shelf bit more suits. as you got into teenage. So you were into suits, that 80s yeah. style. Yeah. The
0: lowest cords oh, and the The, the, 90, the 1990
2: or... England official shell suit <laughs> was my, like, mine of my best friends. That like, was your go to. Yeah. And then you could get the fake one from the markets, but, you know, you're a little bit looked down upon point. So we had the fake one, we had the real one. And then, where well, I think one nan tried to iron it once and it went wrong. So, oh, my um, God, melted under the yeah, iron. So that was, that was, yeah, that was that was the end of the shell suit. <laughs> Thank goodness, forever.
0: That's hilarious. So you recently said in an interview that all you learnt from universities that you never should have gone. <laughs> but if you'd never gone to university, your housemate would never have entered you into the ITV's modelling competition
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you wouldn't have won. So where do you think you would have been now?
2: Good question. There is always that sliding doors moment. There's been lots of them yes. in the industry. Whether you think, if I hadn't have done that, would that have happened? I think sometimes if you put stuff out, not that I ever meant to, I said put stuff out in the universe until it happened. Yes. But I think you put it out there because then it gives you an aim to focus on, to where you're going, it's a mm-hmm. goal. But I never had that goal. I never aspired to be in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. So yes. unless I was walking in London and someone spotted me, it was mm-hmm. never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, I, and were that you that was the good thing that came
0: as well about being a model, because I think back then, male modelling wasn't really oh,
2: no, no, considered me, as a thing. Absolutely. There was a core top five or six models at the time. Robert Krenjic and I think a few other guys. They were what how everyone aspired to be. Right. They were the core cool guys. But they weren't known. They didn't, you know, They weren't known out of the industry, but you knew they were doing all the big campaigns. But then there were the other guys who you could see did very, very well. Mm. But they weren't the cool kids they stayed out of the fashion thing but they were earning very very well and they never used to say they were models mm. what did they say they were then they'd always say advertising or ah, <laughs> right. yeah. so which camp were you in i definitely was not in the cool groups of the fashion uh, i'm still not i could see a pattern of where i wanted to be mm. going back to something inspired me with the levi's ads mm, you know those yes. amazing levi's yeah. ads, which I honestly think they should still bring back today i think yeah. they're incredible i mean Absolutely. they used to like iconic. sort of premiere before top of the pops kind of thing they were yes. iconic ads that was who i inspired to and there was a mm-hmm. guy called tyson baloo who was yeah. in that yeah i got to know and got to work with yeah so there was our inspiring real i was inspired about the creative more than being part of a pack or trying to pigeonhole you're either this or you're one of those guys yeah. and took inspiration from all of them but actually then where we needed to go no one had done no. so that's when it was taking inspiration from the female of supermodels yes. the Christy Turlingtons and the Kates and the Naomi's who seemed to bulk the trend of everything that was going on modelling and mm. you go oh well everyone you say you've only got a few years into modelling and you go do you? I think Kate's doing okay, and you yes. think Naomi's doing okay, and you think Chris is doing okay. And, and, and then they think about it and they go, Oh, yeah, I f- yeah, I forgot yeah. about them. So then realized it was a matter of thinking of it in a completely different way, of thinking yeah. about it as a business longevity, being very strategic. If anyone said there was an incredible business lady yes. within the industry, it was Cindy Crawford. And she did things that others hadn't because she saw how far that could sort of take mm. her. And she really expanded just from the modeling into presenting and then her own lines. And she said, always said, I don't want a one-night stand with a uh, with a brand. I want a marriage, and that made sense to me. Yeah. So just on that though, because obviously at one minute with your university mates, probably
1: living like a student in that way of takeouts and eating absolutely hobnob biscuits, and you yeah. know just drinking bevvies, and suddenly you're with select, and you're launched into this industry. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, I think you sort of did an understanding in your head about this becoming a brand. And then you went into it with that mindset. So
2: that was probably five years of observation. So I didn't, unlike, I mean, there's other people, and go either way in the modeling, so you can be discovered after many, many years, or like Kate Moss's gets taken out of what I believe was a fish and chip shop or something. And then she does a Calvin Klein campaign. There are lots of examples of that. Yeah. We literally you're chosen s- by a big brand and you're a Sarah success Dukes away. JFK, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it was like five or six years mm-hmm. for me, like plugging away doing commercial work and mm-hmm. campaign work, and then mm-hmm. I said to Tandy Anson, who is the owner of Select, mm-hmm. this is just not what I want to be doing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we put a plan together. And was she
1: obviously then believing in your work ethic? Do you know what I mean? For somebody yeah. to really embrace mm. that idea and yeah. say, let's put a plan together. Let's do this. Let's give ourselves a 12 month. Yeah, Instead she, she, of you
0: actually thinking, well, actually, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I should do something, something else. else as a segue. Because a lot of people get into modelling mm-hmm. just as fun to get a bit of money. Yeah. And then I move on to doing something else. But you yeah, stuck true. They, the they go course. into music
2: or. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. That everyone says, are you going into film? I've been hearing it for 20, 15 years. Because <laughs> they all want you to be James Bond. And I'm still, right like, I'm, I'm still not going to James. it. Um, but I saw it from a totally different point of view. And, and there's a logical view behind it. And this sounds, it can sound a little bit pretentious as I say it, but I saw lots of guys and girls in the industry working 320 days a year for different brands and travelling. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. But I was always like, why wouldn't you work for one brand on exclusive for 10 days for ten times the money. Yeah. Yes, please. And everyone would say we can't do that. And I was well, like, but why can't you do it? Oh, guys, guys have never been able to do that. Mm. But I was looking at some, and I said, well, supermodels can do it, and they've got five of these brands. And you've narrowed it down to because their name brought this engagement to a brand, mm. this prestige to a brand, and mm-hmm. that's why you chose that model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where we're in. So light blue gave me that mm. platform. And then,
1: how old were you when that first 20, relationship started? With six, nearly
2: twenty-seven. Right. But I actually worked with Dolce in my first show season, yeah. the horrid show season going yeah. around Milan, which I did once, yes. never to do again. No one wanted me on their catwalk apart from Dolce, yeah. and then they called me in for the second season. So I went to Milan and went into their casting. And I, now I was on an option for a very, very big campaign with a rival brand. And in Dolce, you do the fitting and then you go downstairs and then they buzz your hair very, very quickly. So you look like the Dolce guy and then you're the Dolce guy for the rest of the week because you have this haircut. So I went down and said, sorry, guys, I can't have it because the request for the other brand is longer hair, which I had at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went back up to Dolce & Gabbana and they both came over, Mm. a little bit angry, and (laughs) and I said, sorry, guys, and they said, two choices, David, either walk out or get your hair cut and do the show. So I walked out and... I don't That's know what pretty. I was thinking.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you um, obviously thought you were going to get the other campaign. Too. I didn't get that either. You were sat there going, now what? It was a bad week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, and then how
1: did that turn itself around? Well, then? that
2: was first year. And then over five years, I came into it as a very, I suppose, green, naive 21-year-old. It was never skinny, but quite mm-hmm. lean. Mm-hmm. And at 21, you're at that awkward age. You're not a man. You're not mm-hmm. a boy. You're not mm-hmm. a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then over those five years, it changed. And then... It was Tandy who always said, everyone always said, oh, you'll get or you'll get Ralph. And she said, mm. Dolce, you're Dolce & Gabbana. She put it out she there. Knew. She knew. went, you're yeah, Dolce. Dol- and everyone said, no, Tan, no, Tandy. She went, yeah, Dolce. So there was a dinner with Dolce & Gabbana that we knew they were going to with mm. very close friends. Tandy was there and she went, you're coming to it. And I said, but I, I, how? And she went, I'll work it out. So she worked out, she orchestrated this idea of I had to go and pick up tickets because I was off to a big campaign.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: table, yeah. did you get that everybody I took the train and the, boot, the, the bus there and missed the train on the way home and couldn't even afford a cab at the time to even get me home so that was, the plan, that was Tandy's yeah. plan there's the other idea of listening to someone yes. I could have been in that headroom no Tandy I think I am someone else I'm not going to that but you have to trust and you, trust him, you right? have to listen to people sometimes and trust the experience and that's where it took off from there could you tell
1: us, you know, if you're doing that, looking back, what's been the sort of worst and the most amazing kind of in regards to feeling runway moments? So if you look back, like, and you go, oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, or, I, I, like, the, the worst amazing. one is
2: when I got pulled off of a runway because I didn't fit the clothing last pulled minute. Off, off? And I won't tell you the brand.
0: <laughs> but that's quite odd because you would have done a fitting beforehand. No, I didn't do so. a fitting. Oh, so you didn't?
2: No, it was like we fitted that day and we were flown over. And there was this embarrassing thing. And then in the fashion series thing, no one actually talked to you when they want to get rid of you. So they just <laughs> ignore you. And everyone whispers and just looks. Like, oh, this is uh, awkward. And like looking around. And you're like, should I be doing something? And then it's happened on a few occasions. And I just said, you're too big. I'm a 40 long suit. I'm yes. not an irregular size. But no. this is where you saw the sample sizes were the 38. Right. I know, because they were smaller. always very
0: slim. And, and very actually, slim. you bucked the trend of the look for a model because it was always that very slim life look mm. for boys yeah. and you come along you're not muscular but you're more toned it Hello. must have been quite lonely and deliberate in the way mm. that you're just looked at and then palmed off in the early days Challenge. how did I that keep you was...
2: going what was the thing that kept you going if you believe in it and I think you do there was one time I, I have to say that I was just like no no more and it was just really before the Dolce mm. and I was on option for a massive campaign and literally the flights were booked. My bag was packed and this, yes. it was going to be my biggest campaign ever with another brand, one I've always wanted to work with. Mm. And then the phone call came and said, I've gone another way. Yeah, Ouch. And that, that was the one I sat on the stairs and went, no, I've had enough of this now. This is like too brutal. But it was your expectation. That was the difference. But still plugging, plugging, plugging away. If you believed in it, then mm. um, finally happened at the end of the day. How exciting. And I guess from that time as
1: well, just this idea around bringing it back to style. What was your... Say you're five years into the industry. You're mm-hmm. kind of working with amazing stylists mm-hmm. and designers. Mm-hmm. You're doing runway. You're starting to do some campaign stuff. So what was your personal definition of style at the time?
2: It was always T-shirts. I mean, well, we're of the ultimate T-shirt. You know, yes. I was in T-shirts. I went for this deep V for a while. I remember meeting you Pearl. once
0: and you were wearing a very, a very deep V. Deep v. And yeah. I just remember... If it was a woman, you know, you'd be staring at it. But I remember just <laughs> talking to you and just yeah, literally just a... staring at your pecs and just thinking, wow. I loved I mean, the deep back in the day. Just amazing. Um, but, so you know, transition it's, it's from great. many
2: different styles. And slowly, I suppose, the fashion industry gave you a confidence to be slightly different. And I yes. wanted to be slightly different to everyone. Mm-hmm. It was always style over fashion. I've always said it's style over fashion. I love the style of everything. We were talking about houses earlier, mm. renovating cars, renovating housing, renovating. Mm. It's all the same to me it, yeah. in that many ways. It's what patterns, what colours go yes. together, what looks great. And it's just having, an, I suppose, an eye of going, yeah, that looks, I've got it wrong a million times, but yeah, mm-hmm. that looks good. So that was transitioning very much like through the ages and, and through your, I suppose, years of having confidence of, like, I wouldn't wear a deep V now because I just mm. wouldn't feel like it was correct. Late 20s, mid-late, like, sure. walking around yeah, um, New York... Happy days. Great. Yeah. I had Gucci, which I still have. Gucci Shirling inside boots, like right up to here, like quite skinny jeans, a deep V and a cardigan, and that was and that was my the look. look. And <laughs> is like that was, and then that would change. And then I got slowly on same. So mm. I even bought a Dolce and Gabbana velvet suit, which I still have again today for the British Fashion Awards. Yeah. Before I worked with Dolce. Ah. And it was, I went in and said, I have to have that.
1: Are there any yeah, particular designers or stylists that you've worked with that you can dial up to say, actually, their aesthetic or their understanding of my look has
2: been, you know. But, really but I've never marriage. had a stylist, that's the thing. Right. So,
1: But on campaigns and stuff like that.
2: Campaigns is different because you don't have a say. I mean, I do now, of course, but I never did.
0: At the end of the day, it is about the personality that you choose who's going to model that look and yeah. embody and bring something else yeah. to it, which is.
2: So, I mean, William Gilchrist was.
0: Yes, he's
2: the best. I can look at a show and not know who styled it, and the first five guys come down and be like, that's William. Yes, mm, He's got the so. style all to himself. And what is that exactly. that you're seeing? What's the kind of... Just a well-created, put-together piece. Mm. Something that doesn't look like it's...
0: Trying too hard.
2: Trying too hard, but it's actually very hard to put together. Mm. Right Suits, to me, were very easy. Yes. They're, they're the easiest thing to put together. You can wear a T-shirt, you can wear a tie-like, you can separate with a pair of jeans. I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Creating something else of getting the textures, the colours, this shouldn't be worn together, the boots, mm. the shoes, it is quite complicated, and I still get it wrong today. Sometimes I look at it in a in mirror as I walk past and go, good God, what have you? <laughs> <laughs> what what, is, what <laughs> is that ensemble? To... <laughs> um, so try and keep it, and I, I suppose I've learned that myself, keep it simple. And then if you look at the design, Dolce, mm. Stefano, Giorgio Armani, Ralph, you go and look at them. And they'll come out at the end of their shows, mm-hmm. they're in a black t-shirt, yeah. a yes. white Always. t-shirt, and a pair, and a pair of, of jeans. jeans. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that's what I got from people. People who had a style, and they had the confidence to put it off. Because they didn't care what people thought. They yes. weren't following the crowd, they weren't following trends. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is what works for me, this mm-hmm. is what I'll carry on doing. I've been wearing it for ten years, I'll carry on wearing it for years. I think that's what inspired me, really, to go my own... Not to have a stylist, not to do yes. you anything. Know, it's like, I like this. And, this is what, and So that's when I really got into tailoring. And of course, suits at that time, yes. no one was in suits. We've now gone mm-hmm. back to people wearing less mm-hmm. suits. Yes. But at that time, people like three-piece suits. Mm-hmm. People are like, why are you wearing three-piece suits? <laughs> well, and, then, yeah. <laughs> and then slowly, I remember sort of men's, the first ever men's fashion week, London mm, fashion I men's. remember that. Yeah. And everyone was then engulfed this British London three-pieces. And it was the coolest time for the first couple of seasons. From walking down the road with the shades and their three-piece Tom Sweeney's on with their horseshoe waistcoats kind of thing. It was a very, very cool time. Of course, that then changes again.
1: But on that kind of essence of understanding fine tailoring and obviously understanding and developing your own sense of style, I think for you, you know, you work out, you look after yourself. And I think that's part of your style as well in the way of, like, you're wearing those clothes because you also they look good because you look after yourself. And I think there's a difference there. It becomes your own style. So you almost, you don't have to make so much effort in the way of a simple black T-shirt and a jean because there's a good canvas. That's
2: kind of you would say. But but yes, I suppose, I mean, that's why I am in the industry I am and that's why I'm chosen to be because I have that frame and look after myself. But I think clothes can make any body type look good. Mm. You have to understand, you know, this is where I've try to with friends and when they've asked me about something about suiting tailoring mm. you've got a lot of people who men not understanding sizing still people have said can you come and do this wedding for me as in, like dress all the groomsmen i said yeah absolutely give me all their sizes we'll go here yes. all their sizes are wrong guys don't even know the actual true size they right. think they're a 16 collar they're a 15 right. yes. it makes a massive difference yes. baggy to yes. the entire, height. and then properly how to do tyres yes. and the knots that should be with the right collars and should you be and I said no you should be in double breasted you should be in single breasted yes. you should be in three pieces and then why and if you actually explain and then you know a guy said to me at the when he said what's the problem because like I've got slight belly and then the shirt comes out and I said good you're in a waistcoat then yes, never definitely. have to worry about it
1: Yeah. <laughs> just fold it away yeah, absolutely and then like double
2: yes. you know, breasted suits we had this now or did have this sort of real return that everyone was wearing double-breasted. And I still think they are. I'm constantly in double-breasted. But there was this old-fashioned, most like city, pinstripe
0: yes. idea of it. Yes.
2: And then actually you get a well-tailored double-breasted suit. Mm. And it can make you look slimmer. It can really yes. emphasise your, your shape. So, yes, there's good frames, but it is a lot down to style yeah, and clothing yeah. at the end of the day. I think people underestimate that. And then you've got that confidence but there is a difference, we did a competition once for a charity and it was basically a styling day with me in a tailors and the guy who was the winner, he came and he just chose his grey suits and I said, have you thought of any other colours? Yeah. Now, all men choose gray. blue, greys, oh, blacks pretty. and I had a double breasted, the same tailor, brown suit on he said, yeah, but I couldn't pull this off I said, honestly, try it I said, can we get the suit? And he said, brown, gorgeous linen brown and he yeah. looked incredible Amazing. He would have looked like a million, million dollars walking down the street And he was like, you think, and I was like, if you have the confidence and fairly know what I'm talking about. And and the guys in South Row here definitely know what they're talking about. And Then he was like, yeah, okay." And then I think it was his assistant and his girlfriend at the time came in and they were like, you can't wear brown. Oh, no. And he sort of like sort of put his head down and took it off and sort of gave it to me. That significance of someone saying, you can't wear brown, Mm. well, you could. And I didn't like to see that in many ways. I was so well, you might not. But he loves it. Yeah. And you could yes. see this. And he, he started getting into tailoring and started getting into the excitement of what right. to put it with. Mm. And he just said, oh, I'll just I'll just stick with the grey. And I was like, okay, that's what you feel confident in. Yeah.
0: But. I suppose a lot of people aren't experimental when it comes to investing in a suit and yeah. wearing it. As you said, you can break it down. Just wear the jacket. Just wear mm. the trouser exactly, with something exactly, else yeah. and mix it up. They just see a suit as a suit. And it's only for formal occasions. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Or yeah. interviews. Or a funeral. And then it's <laughs> packed away in the wardrobe.
2: Very, very true. Yeah, yeah. And yes. I've, I've never seen it that as like breaking stuff down, you know, wearing a jacket sometimes or yes. with jeans and T-shirts. But do you think
0: well. that comes from your experience actually working in the industry for so long and wearing every connotation of clothing, suits?
2: It gave you access to that, but it just gave you access to how the best stylists put stuff together. Mm. Yeah. And the best stylists sure. never do that. And the best stylists would go, like, right, let's ruffle this up and it can be wrinkled and then yes. let's put this over the top and accessories. Nice. So... Yeah, I hope I had picked something up in over 20 years from the experts anyway.
1: (laughs) In regards to the row, I mean, obviously you've got lots of relationships and Mm. different tailors and that new blood and then obviously the heritage brands as well. Like if you're standing at the top of Savile Row and doing a glance down, who are the ones that are waving out at you that you're going to go, I love what you do?
2: I have quite a good relationship with all of them, if I'm Mm. honest, because I think I... Hopefully, may have inspired people to get back into tailoring. Mm. And a lot of people an unofficial ambassador for suiting in Savile Row in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a great relationship with them. I work with lots of them. Mm. Again, you look at the history, Henry Paul. So, Henry Paul invented the evening suit, which should be midnight blue. That is my evening suit. Yes. I have others from Dolce and Velvets and everything else. So, when people come to me and talk about an evening suit, I say, you know, it should be midnight blue. And they're like, no, black. And I said, black's a tuxedo, I'm afraid. If you want to yes. be like evening suits, midnight <laughs> nice. blue. Nice, <laughs> And that. Henry Paul invented that. And then, you know, you've got Geeves, which fortunately Mm. is is not in a great position at the moment. Mm. But you've got Anson Shepard. Tom Sweeney's always been my tailor. It's turned into a great friend, been ambassador for those guys for a long, long time. And they were, I suppose, the modern twist on Savile Row, really. The one thing about Savile Row, it's an intimidating place. Not so much but you feel like you're walking in if you're not dropping 10,000 pounds on a suit then. yeah. But it's, which is not actually when you get to know the guys mm. and the different tailors, it's not true. And they've got women cutters now and slowly, slowly dragging Savile Row into the sort of modern era. This is something I learned from Tom Ford. Yes, I sat next to him, very fortunate, sat next to dinner, he was an inspiration of mine. And I asked him about how do you dress, he said, I wear 10 suits, same suits, wear them every day, same gray suit. I will change that to seasonal. Yes. But he said, then I'll go out and change the shirt and the tie into the same shirt and maybe a different tie and then he'll go out he said that's what I choose and that's what I go out in." he said because that's what I'm comfortable when I know it works so I took something from that of not trying to change it up too much mm-hmm. that gave me speaking to him the confidence like yeah if I actually if I'm wearing suits all week I will do yeah and the same suits Yeah. Yes. and then change up so I think we've all been a little bit guilty of trying maybe to follow trends I did it over the last couple of years of maybe it's sort the of looking, going, oh, man, a little bit, old, you know, not old-fashioned, but maybe it's not suiting, and maybe it has to be more casuals now and everything, and, it's, and that, that has changed.
1: Now, obviously, a nod to the whole summer season and occasion wear, and the kind of pomp and ceremony, I guess, in that very British mm-hmm. way of stepping
2: out and that whole process. Now, mm-hmm. do you enjoy that? Do you go to the races? I think a very British thing to get dressed up, and mm. I dress for an occasion. Yeah, That's what I'm still going to do. You know, people trying to pigeonhole you. It's style or what you should wear to those things. No, I love getting sort of dressed up to this day. I think one of the things I think women do, and I, I don't think guys, I still think there's a, not a dressing down culture, but I think mm. it's always so okay to do it. And somewhere I, I see people, and the woman's made such a great effort at a restaurant or a bar, and they're clearly on a date or a date night. Yes. And the guy comes in a little bit more casual, and I think, God, I just, I still love a guy's in suits. That's my idea. And I love having a time to be able to do that. Really, in those times during the summer, taking the time yes. and enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Although, by the way, Prince Charles at Ascot. I mean, he's still oh, like in you know, oh, his grey morning suit. Who's one of the number one people to find no, Prince Charles? No, not at all. Amazing. And he has. I've uh, been very fortunate enough to meet Prince Charles a few times. He has killed me on the style stakes yes. a few times. His Royal Highness Prince Charles. It's a combination
1: of things, because style is one thing. What you wear is a certain part of it, but it's who you yeah. are. You know, I had yeah. a grandfather who used to make incredible cocktails, and that was really stylish. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's these little things that just pepper around your persona or your offering mm-hmm. that, of course, it's the silhouette and it's what you wear,
2: but it's loads of other parts of your demeanour and how you it present actually, yourself. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, yeah. No, I'm totally about that. I wrote an article once a long, long time ago about what it meant to be a gentleman. Yes. And it was, you know, I, I said it, it wasn't what you wear. Yeah. It is your demeanor. It's the way you treat people. It it's the way you protect your, your people. Kindness, yeah. and politeness. Your kindness and politeness. and again, that's got a little bit changed in many ways mm. because you don't know sometimes. It can be confusing for men. Do you still open a door for a lady? Do you not? Mm. I think Are you so. Seen My grandfather, when he died, someone to made a speech and said if there was a definition of a gentleman. He wasn't in suits and that idea, mm. but he was a gentle man. Yeah, you know? that's where I've that. been brought up saying yes. the same as my father. But yeah, as you say, there's those little things. It's little never accents. really about dressing. Yes. It, it it's it seems to have gone away sometimes in this polarized world of not actually what you're saying. It's about what you own, or not about what you do. It's about what you own or what you're seeing. And I think we've lost the idea a little bit of style mm. because we're mm. in this. Instagram social yes. world. Of...
0: But style is about the individual rather than the label that you're wearing because mm-hmm. you can wear something emblazoned with the designer's um, brand on it mm. and it still doesn't make you look good. I think it's <laughs> what's inside that makes you look good and how you wear it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think the whole Instagram thing, you know, you're not present around it. It's sort of like no. style. It could be eye contact or how you shake somebody's hand. Exactly. Or, you know, you have to live that moment. It has to come alive.
0: So we've got a few quickfire questions for you. Yeah. Dinner suit or track suit? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Torn. <laughs> Torn. But that's a hard one because you, like, you wouldn't wear a dinner suit at home and you wouldn't wear a tracksuit to an event. So it's, can I have both? Not really, but...
1: Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a quick Can comment. I have a
2: tracksuit in the style of a dinner suit? <laughs> that's, 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 a that's, okay. that's a good one.
1: Capri Island or Capri Cars?
2: Oh, God, the Essex Dave is uh, <laughs> so common with the Italian Dave. Um, oh no, Capri Island.
0: Wet shave or razor?
2: Beard trimmer. Nice, dirty martini or old fashioned? Oh, old fashioned.
0: <laughs> petrol or electric?
2: Oh no, I've got my other PR head here, for fair. so someone from Jaguar doesn't pop their head around A the corner. Quick fire. Um, So listen, I mean, I'm, 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 I've got to stick to petrol for yes. the time being. I'm Your afraid. Petrol head. Yeah, I own classic cars. I mean, exactly. yeah, but then you know.
0: Radiator or underfloor heating?
1: Oh, underfloor heating. I hate radiators. Hand luggage or suitcase, David?
2: Oh, hand luggage.
0: Going back (laughs) to luggage, actually. So you have travelled the world on assignments, obviously at the drop of a hat, all the time, flying. How do you pack?
2: Suit carrier with a number of looks in. And then I don't take lots of different looks. I'm like, that look is for that night. That look is for that. That look will be during the day. So... No, everything for quickness has always been try and be hand luggage. I do have my beautiful globetrotter, which I just love. Mm. Even just taking it to the airport and putting it on the thing, I "I love that (laughs) globetrotter. I love doing that, it's just I don't like having to collect it on the carousel afterwards. So yeah, quickness is key, really, when you're travelling so much. Yeah. What's the oldest item in your wardrobe? My goodness, I've still got the white swimming shorts from light blue.
1: <laughs> are they framed enough on a mantelpiece? You should be framed. I found them. I'm I sure found them was the other day. We, we of moved and I
2: was like, oh, there they are. Um, probably my father's suits, I suppose. Got a watch from my grandfather. Not an expensive watch. He it's, I scored an Aurin. I don't know what it is. That's probably the only thing of I don't know, not even any worth whatsoever is my grandfather's. That I have for mm, an nice. accessory, and then one of my dad's suits, which maybe doesn't fit me anymore, but it's still in my wardrobe because I just can't. I often have a a good clear out of stuff yeah. I don't wear but that will never go. But that's 40 years old I suppose. In many ways, yeah. You've obviously had a, a
1: whole career observing carefully along the way with this idea that one day potentially you would bring out your own line. Coupled with the fact that from a timing perspective, the fashion industry is incredibly complex at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, from an environmental perspective, there's a lot of finger pointing, it's been a big part of the problem. And then sort of like trying to find actually how some fashion lines could be part of the solution. Yeah. The premise of Wellwear, it's sort of based on demystifying choice and actually these ethical natural ingredients in these amazing capsule mm-hmm. collections. So
2: give us a little bit of context about the brainchild behind Wellwear. So when you speak about sustainable, I was looking at all these sustainable elements of people going, oh, we're taking stuff out of the ocean and making stuff with mm-hmm. But Okay, that's one side of it. Mm-hmm. My idea of sustainability is that I've got a wardrobe full of suits that are 10 years old. They're not going on landfill. I'm still wearing them. I'm not buying... I pass them down. I'm passing them down. I'm passing them to one of the people. If they do ever go into a landfill, they're made of natural fibres, they'll break down. That's my idea of sustainability, Mm -hmm. but cutting down production. So one of the things when you're seeing this build-up of fast fashion, fast fashion, fast fashion, and the production, that's the worst side. And we have to put our hands up in the fashion industry. We really, really do. So this is not... not, This cannot go on like this. So... All those boxes had to be ticked. It's a hard thing to do, from producers to factories who are getting even more sustainable by, you know, like ours does with solar panels and mm. uh, reusing the water, to how much the staff are being paid. Everybody's compromised. No, nope. t-shirts have been around for many, many, many years. Mm. We're not trying to re- reinvent, reinvent the, the wheel, wheel yeah. but yeah. putting the twist on the technology mm-hmm. and the pockets and, and the, the utility and the function. Yeah. Our parents were so much better. Sustainable items. We are. Mm, we definitely. are. We. You know. I think we're all trying, and we're hopefully getting better. But mm-hmm. they looked after their items, mm-hmm. and they were made to last. Mm. It's all coming full circle. Yeah, really. really to the way actually things it's were made, made before. Mm. So it's just online at the moment. Yeah, direct consumer, and we've purposely done that in many ways, just so we can pass those costings onto the consumer. Mm -hmm. That's where our pricing point can Mm -hmm. be a little bit lower.
1: When you do that glimpse into the future, let's say from a fashion industry perspective, Mm. and sort of next five years from being in the industry for so long,
2: what do you see? What do you hope that the fashion industry will look like? I think we're in our, really our infancy of the technology that we can be using the different fabrics of the enhanced biodegradability mm. element of fabrics, which people don't understand about. So you can still make a polymer, you can still make an acrylic, but you can enhance so compostable elements as yes. well, like tights, they completely break down. So mm. I think we're still in our infancy of that, but it will move very, very quickly. Mm. I don't even want to see a brand or a company do badly. That's not what I'm about. but. It's going to take all of these big brands to really turn it around and make things a lot more affordable, and the factories all have to change as well. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. always the supply yeah, to, chains and the absolutely. business. Absolutely, and then that funnel effect. Inception. So really, that the consumer has to understand. We all have a big part to play with it as yeah. led by the consumer, not yeah. to buy a fast fashion. And yeah, not use to your, buy your buy money as your vote. Mm. Absolutely. So the worldwide yes. wardrobe is slowly changing, Evolve. actually evolving, evolving yes. along with that, which I've always wanted it to do. But I believe in going there. Said, well, no one's going to work with the office, and then you read something else that. Actually, there's a lot of companies now, a lot of companies I know, big companies going, yeah, everyone yeah. wants to. Be well, it's there. interesting, a lot to, just, of people who've moved to the country, I'm yeah. well, in mean, Somerset, lots of people moved to the
1: country, yep. they're actually now coming back into town. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like they all arrived and now they're like, oh, actually, yeah. you still yeah. want Well, to be I think along.
0: everyone thought that this would change how we live and work, that actually we all need to interact with human beings and yeah. it's not fun working from no. home on your own all the or, time no, all the time no, no, so been, I think I, it's work, finding that balance
2: work a lot with men's mental health charities and yes. understanding what that means and how we can help it's still the biggest killer of men under 44 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the pandemic the idea of people working at home just on a screen scares the living daylights out me. I'm totally honest mm. I think you can lose a day to yourself at home or like on screens you are communicating with people but not directly to them and going to the office or going to work makes people get out it makes them get on a bus or a train and have a smile from somewhere or a quick chat or let's have a drink after work you you can keep an eye on each other you can support each other you You have an interaction with the world are you okay this morning you would never do that and you'd never look somebody's got got your back this morning Because you can't gauge that but in the office you can gauge that so that interaction we are the most community generation with whatsapp and Instagram and Mm. social but actually we're not talking at no. all, really, at the end of the day. Well, there's a lot of people that are lonely out there. I've had some dark periods myself. Hopefully, if I can open up and I know other people, Ryan Reynolds is another one that opens up about his anxiety yes. and how he remedies that. And I, I do the same. It's not always about talking. There's this thing about men need to talk, men need to talk. Sometimes you just need to listen and know there's mm. other people going through it and discover how those guys have got through their darker periods or how yes. they continue to do it and what's good for them. For me, it sounds very weird, but I'm quite a solitary person. So when I'm on my own and I'm taking the dog for a walk or I'm travelling, that's normality for me and I enjoy that. Actually, when I am go for a lot of people, huge events, yes. that's when my anxiety is mm. at its worst mm. and it drains me. Mm. You do that constantly over and over again. But a lot of people are different and that's where you all have to say it's not one way works for everyone. You, you have so to true. find that yes. way. So I think just opening up and talking.
0: Well, thank you so much for thank joining you. us on Personal Threads. It's been absolutely thrilling to just hear about all that you've achieved um, what you're oh, doing in you. the future and how you're helping to save the planet and-
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah David thank you thought. so much yes. thank
1: and you all the very best with Wellway. I can't yes. wait to get my hands on it and I uh, hope that we see you at Royal Ascot we'll yes do. thank you guys absolutely thank you take care thank, thank you David you. Thanks so much for listening and please remember, if you enjoyed joining us, you can subscribe so you don't miss the next one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Personal Threads is brought to you by Ascot Racecourse. The show is hosted by Scott Wimsett and Susan Bender-Whitfield, produced by Little Dot Studios and edited by Content Is Queen.